Welcome to the Authors Who Lead podcast. This podcast is dedicated to you, people who want to be inspired by authors, leaders, and the messages they share. This is such an important podcast to us because we help uncover what goes on behind the scenes when authors are writing their book. We talk about the process. We talk about where they get big ideas, and you can listen in on those conversations. We can't wait for you to join us. So let's get started. So what does it really mean to be a leader? Do you have to get nominated? Are you called? Is your number pulled from a hat? Or do you just decide one day that it's time to lead? Sometimes being a leader means you have to step into an uncomfortable space, a space where you realize that maybe what you have to say is more important than you thought. A year like 2020 sometimes brings up big shifts in people, and especially for the people of color. The community where you live and thrive might also be the place that needs the most help. Today, we think about our power and our influence can really be manifested in the words we say and the pages and books we write. That's what's important for a leader, to stand up for what they believe. Hey everyone, Asul Taronis, your host here at Authors to Lead. We're back with another amazing guest, and actually someone that's become a dear friend, Gary Ovalli. He's a serial entrepreneur who has spent more than 20 years building successful six and seven figure companies for himself and for others. He now teaches people the art of living remarkable, purposeful, happy lives while erring on the side of personal well-being, financial security, and growth. And as a business coach and mentor, Gary is an execution specialist for those looking to create six-figure and seven-figure outcomes for their business. He's passionate about social impact, and he's always encourages clients to grow forward and give back. Healing Our Community starts with financial security, and Gary helps you create yours so you can help someone else create theirs. He's an author, an activist, a community leader. Gary knows when people find their purpose in life and shares those gifts with others that they have the ability to create generational change. It improves not just their lives, but also the lives of everyone around them. He's the author of the book, Unjustified, Where Have Our Black Leaders Gone? It's the topic of today's conversation. Gary, welcome to the show. Azul, thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate it. Yeah. You know, Gary, what's amazing is that uh, how we sort of got connected. This is the way entrepreneur book world lives. You meet somebody that meets somebody. But in this case, you met my husband, Steve, in, in a program you're both involved in with our dear friend Tiffany in her Legacies Foundation program to kind of build and you know revive our brand or, or kind of build a legacy for yourself as you're, you're creating your own presence. That was a great kind of encounter. But what I was really struck with was how dedicated and purposeful you've been about this mission. And uh, you came to us with this book idea. You said, I have this book. It's, I, it's so clear. It's written. I really want to get this out in the world. How quickly can we do this, basically? <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> Tell me where the origins of a book that really has a social justice kind of feel to it when you were really living your life as a successful entrepreneur. Why unjustified? Tell me more. I know that 2020 was a year that shook a lot of us, but why is it time to write a book? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. For me, this I think like most authors, right? We have books sitting inside of us waiting to come out. And unjustified was something I was thinking about for years. You know, as a child, as a young person, as a child, I was thinking about these topics. I just didn't really know how to navigate them, how to have those conversations. So I just kind of had them internally for a really long time. And then obviously, like most of us, right, life takes over. We start kind of moving in the direction of having families and children and starting businesses. And you put a lot of these things on the back burner, but it's always stayed with me and it's always been relevant. And what I ended up doing was just giving back to my community as often as I could as a way of kind of making up for that, you know, the, the pain that I know exists in the world that we live in. 
And when I finally had time, right, my, my children went to college, <laughs> I finally got time and energy back. I sat and I thought about it. And I said, you know, I really, I have something to say. I want to share it with the world. And I know it can help make a difference in so many people's lives. So that's exactly what I did. I sat down, I wrote it, I put it together, and then we ran into each other. And the rest is, as we say, history, right? Just kind of put it together and here it is. Yeah. So in your book, you raise this notion of the need or the wonder of where Black leaders are in this moment in time. For you, maybe give context to why this is something that you're so passionate about, why your your life and or what you've observed. And in the introduction, I talked about how you feel if we can give people an opportunity to get security, get get themselves started on a financial sort of freedom, that they can create some help and opportunity for others. Where, where was your beginnings to help people understand when entrepreneurship kind of came to you? And then we'll get circled back around to this notion of Black leaders. Yeah, great. So entrepreneurship, I'd say that that kind of hit me directly between the eyes. The moment my wife and I started to think about getting married and having kids, I realized that there was no way I was going to spend the rest of my life working for someone else, hoping to get away to be part of my children's life. I just, mm-hmm. I knew in that moment when we were talking about it before they were born, I said, I'm going to have to put myself in a position where I'll never miss a day in their life. Right. Mm-hmm. I recognized that. That time goes by so fast. If you miss it, it's gone and it's gone forever. There's no way to make up for that. So I moved into entrepreneurship and I kind of fumbled and stumbled and bumbled my way along until I figured it out. And then once I figured out how to do this thing, I just kept doing it. Right. And I did it for myself and for others and one business, two business, five business, and just kept going. And I recognized that, man, I now have the ability to not just affect my life, but everyone who I touch, everyone who I can teach, everyone who I can mentor. So I just spent a lot of time doing that close up personal. Like I said, you know, in my community, I just kept giving back. And when I had time to think about it, I said, you know, I want to do the same thing on a much grander scale. So how do I do that? And that's when I met the internet. <laughs> so for me, I just got here to the online space. I've been an offline animal my entire life. And I was happy in that space. And it's beautiful. It was wonderful, very successful. But I just recognized I wanted to do more. Right. That's great. Now, because this is a podcast and they don't understand your origins, tell people like what your background is and why this idea of your book is so important to you and why the, I think it'll lead us into this idea of what the common misunderstandings around racism are, which is one of the first chapters in your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, for me, it started really, really young. I was so, so fortunate to watch my mother, who was a community activist. I had a chance to watch her growing up. And Mm. what I learned was I had the chance to see someone who loved their family and community enough to affect change in it. And as a young person, when you learn that and you see that one person able to create change for everyone, Mm. that's it. You can no longer unlearn it. You can no longer unsee it. It's like reading. I dare you to learn how to unread. I dare you. You just can't. And for me, learning how to create change in my community and the world around me, loving others more than I loved myself, I realized there was such power in that. So powerful. Mm. And I took that and I went through my, my young years, my young adult years, my high school years, my college years, obviously, you know, through, you know, the 20s and 30s and all the entrepreneurship good stuff. 
And then I get to this point and man, I just realized how powerful that was and significant that was not just for myself, but for others. But that's where it started at a very young age. And from there, I was able to just keep that close to heart and just give back as often as I could. It's just like you mentioned earlier in my bio. I absolutely understand and know that growing forward and giving back is paramount to healing our communities and solving the problems of the world. Right. You do a lot of, in our book, you really do take on some challenging topics, definitely in the year of 2020. And you have this concept that's called ghetto lottery. I kind of want you to kind of explain it to people because it does help us understand why you're having this conversation to begin with and where there are some really, you don't discuss all of the racism issues in in our country or around uh, people of color or specific black people. But what what is this idea of the ghetto lottery? Because I want, I think it's an interesting conversation and it can really kind of jolt us into this, the way in which you're looking for these uncalled leaders that are sitting out there. Nice. That's great. I, I really appreciate that question. It's just so powerful. It leads us right into the larger conversation. So you're right that I don't cover a lot of issues or all of the issues of racism. It's not a new topic for us. We know it. We've lived with it all of our lives. Anyone who is living in the United States, right? Regardless of color. I recognize there were certain aspects of the conversation that we weren't having, that we weren't being exactly truthful and honest about. And for me, just like I mentioned earlier, it's about teaching young people how to find a better way. And the ghetto lottery, it starts there, especially in black and brown communities. And the ghetto lottery is the concept of giving our children to entertainment and sport in hopes that they become rich and famous and one of the chosen few. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate part is, just like the lottery, it wasn't designed for you to win. And just like the lottery, thousands upon thousands are given to this concept and they don't necessarily have a successful output. It's really for the success of a few at the expense of, a, of the many. And with Ghetto Lottery, I want people to understand how we have to fundamentally change how we approach sport and entertainment and the raising of our children and how we want to find success for them. I know that poverty is a thing that lives near and dear to many people in the black and brown communities. And as a result, they're willing to sacrifice their children, so to speak, hoping that they have a better way forward. And I say that there are better options that produce better results statistically, long-term, while providing the ability to escape the poverty that they live near or in. Right. So how do you do that? So, you know, you're a young black boy thinking about the NBA, you see it, it's lifted up and they're, they're allowed to live in, in a world where they don't come from with wealth and, you know, they get fame and fortune and, you know, all the things that come with that. How do you start to make a, a shift in a community of people where this is the thing that's right before them? How do you start to show them any other way? if this is the way that's being portrayed to them as the way out of, out of poverty or into success. Yeah. And that answer, it, it starts with the parent. It starts with the adults that are surrounding and influencing that young child. The conversation kind of goes, I'm letting you know that there are wonderful opportunities. And if you are one of those amazing stars that are going to excel and find success at the professional level, I'm going to support you. But if you're not, I want you to know that there are so many other options for you to be just as successful, just as happy, just as wealthy, just as amazing, without having to pursue this one thing as though it's the only way or the preferred way out. 
It starts with a lot of conversations at a young age and obviously age appropriate. You know, you, you can't talk to an 18 year old and an eight year old at the same level. So you have to realize as we're having these conversations with young people, they're going to be able to recognize the realities in which they live. And then they can start making better choices. They can start to recognize that, hey, I love this sport and I want to pursue it. Or, you know, I like this sport, but I love other things and I'd rather pursue that. And when they're given that opportunity early on in life, and when those conversations are had early on in life and they're supported early on, the results are incredible. Yeah, that's great. What it brings to mind is, you know, I'm hoping that we get a new surge of heroes. I mean, Amanda Gorman being, you know, spotlighted in so many different ways. I'm hoping people will see even a poet could have the success that is given to these athletes. I mean, she's, I think, such a great representation of that. What are your thoughts about her spotlight being shared, you know, as an activist, the National Youth Poet Laureate, as well as, you know, speaking at the inauguration, as far as a part of this idea of showing a different pathway forward for people of color? I think she is exactly right. And she is right on time. She is exactly the example that we are talking about now that I discuss in my book. She is exactly the type of individual and pursuing the types of things that we need to have and have our young people pursue and challenge them to be more and be greater in so many different areas. Now she's doing it in poetry, giving back to the world and showing them a better way and just being a beacon, a light of something so pure and amazing and beautiful. Now, what if we're able to encourage young people to do that in other industries? Mm -hmm. If the effects are just profound and they are far reaching, and that's the ripple effect that she is allowing others to see. When I saw her, I wept. So beautiful, so amazing. And I called my daughter and I said, come look at this young girl. I thought she was like 12 years old. I didn't, I really didn't know she was, (laughs) I had no idea who I was looking at. I just walked into the television and I was like, oh, who's this young girl saying amazing things? And then I realized she was a full grown adult. And I was like, that's just me being an old guy, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But amazing, right? And I called my daughter in and I said, look at her. Look at what she's talking about. This is the power that I've been talking to you about, how we have the ability to reach out and have such an impact on others at a grand stage. And it's the reminder that I keep giving my children. Right. You know, I first learned about her actually from one of her, I think, TEDx speeches where she talked about going to an audition for Nala in the the Broadway musical travel version of The Lion King. And she, she talked about overcoming her stutter and going into this and in this audition, stuttering, despite the fact that she was told in there by other people she wouldn't, shouldn't be there, shouldn't do it. This is the resilience that the, the Black and Brown community need to see as that if you continue on this path, Forging really her own path. There was no one that she could follow besides a beautiful, strong single mother, right? From an activist family, living with this idea that you can do so many things, her, her mom being a teacher. In your book, you also discuss some of the ways in which, you know, people of color can really kind of break away from the things that basically have entrapped them from black on black crime to all this, the ignorance of wealth generation and the things that are there. What are some of the ways in which you could help someone who's listening here to understand what are some of the things that are holding even the community back themselves, despite the, the outward struggles that they can really focus on to make a difference? Yeah. And that's, that's the heart of the conversation. You know, that, that's the root of it. You know, it's really easy for us to have conversations and talk about ourselves in a positive light. 
hey, look at what I'm doing right. Look at all the amazing things I've done. Look at me, look at me. Well, we're responsible for all of those amazing things. You're right. But we're also responsible for a lot of the pitfalls and the problems and the failures in our life. And for our community, we have to start to recognize and be honest about those conversations where we're hurting ourselves and where we're falling short and where we're keeping cycles of ignorance and poverty and violence and things of that nature in place. This is what unjustified is, right? It's, it's about self-inflicted wounds. It's about systematically imposed limitations. And then more importantly, the ability to get past that and create better outcomes. You can only do that through self-reflection. You can't become a better human being just by doing stuff. It, mm. There's an internal work that has to be done. And that goes with personal development. It kind of, it's the same way I approach my businesses, why I've been so successful in that space, because I recognize that's just a reflection of my own personal development. And if I'm willing to be better and become better all the time, every day, over the years, I'm going to start producing a much better result for myself. So yeah, I have to look at the ways in which I might contribute to toxic masculinity, the way that I might contribute to the being ignorant of wealth generation and generational wealth. I might be treating others with the same bias that I might have experienced in my lifetime. Those are things that I have to be honest about so that I could fix them and clean them up in my own self, in my own family, in my own community. And then from there, we can start to grow forward and have so much better results because we're no longer hurting ourselves. We're no longer putting poison into the world, hoping that it gets better. Yeah. And you know, that this is why the title alone, Unjustified, Where Have All the Black Leaders Gone? It really struck me when you first presented this as the title of your book, because it's sort of like maybe a longing or a wonder, but also a call. Like, where are you? Are you there? Are you hearing me? Are you willing to, to step up? Because you know, you being a successful business owner didn't have to put yourself out there in here, but you were raised with this belief of like, I, I have to, this is actually a part of who I am in my DNA. How do you translate that to someone who's raised that way to someone who is maybe, maybe having the results of these negative influences, these beliefs about self, about being stuck on this idea of black on black violence of, of this sort of way they even treat themselves within their own community? Yeah. The, the short answer to that, Azul, is you have to give and you have to continue to give and give and give. And you have to give them your time, your energy, opportunity, and example. So I make sure that I live my life in a way that it doesn't matter who looks at it and it doesn't matter which area you look at it. And it's not that it's an unfaulting life, right? We're all a mess in our own special way, right? Mm -hmm. But be a positive example as often and as early as you can, and then start to reach out to those individuals that need help or need a better example in their lives. So this way they know it's possible. Most people who struggle in this space, oftentimes it's just because they don't know. They don't know that there's opportunity for them. They don't know how to get it. They don't know who to talk to. So I make myself available in all of those ways, in every which way, to anyone who wants to learn, who wants to grow. And it starts there. And we have to do that individually so that more young people can see that example. And then they recognized, oh, well, look, it can happen. Look, it's possible and doable. And look at all the positive result that's happening from that. We need to be able to concentrate on showing young people how to do these things. So as they enter the world, they enter it the same way I've taught my children. 
as net positives. Give to the world more than you take. And if we can put more people in the world who have that understanding, the problem begins to solve and more people begin to see it and they recognize that it's possible, right? I think it was Roger Bannister, or I think is that's his last name, right? The four minute or five minute mile. It was unbroken until he finally got there. And once he did it, everybody just kept just obliterating the last record because once they see it's possible, then they know. And that's what it was like for me watching my mother grow up. Once I learned it was possible, I never looked back and I recognized I could have that same effect and others have the ability to have that same effect. Let me show you how to create financial security and growth in your life so you can show someone else. And that's where it's bounded. Yeah. I love that this is so rooted in giving because this book, what there's so much going on about the root of blame and you, them, which we have to accept our responsibilities in our country and in our lives. This conversation is 400 and something years old. This isn't new. You said that. What should be new is our willingness to solve it from the inside out. Is what you're saying. Like, look, this is an internal problem first before it's an external one. And when you get external, serve, give, support, inspire. You know, I think that's the hardest part. People have an expert, you know, an idea that just because you go out and march, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing that that's the giving. That is a statement. My son during that time said to me, I really want to contribute to this conversation around Black Lives Matters. I'm not feeling comfortable marching. I don't want people to think that I'm not able to give or not willing to. I said, well, what do you want to do then? Because I want to get together some of my artist friends. I want to create these stickers that basically share the voices of Black Lives Matter in a creative way. And I want to sell them to people. And then I want to donate everything to a cause. I said, well, that sounds like a very powerful way to give. You don't have to do what everyone's doing. And I, I, I think that people need to understand there is no perfect path, but there is a givingness to this, this work. There is a sense of understanding. Dr. Well, they called her, Dr. Ume, who was here on my program this month as well. She is also an activist and she stands to help curb teen and youth suicide. She's a pediatrician by training, a lieutenant colonel. She's a super successful MBA. She's an immigrant to this country. And yet she talked about her too. One moment when her two black sons came home, almost in tears, huffing and puffing because they were dropped off by the police because they were walking in their own neighborhood just because they're black. And she, she was encouraged and inspired to write a book about teaching about racism because she's like, this can't continue on and I'm the person to tell you about it. You don't have to be an expert. You're not going to be from some big school or necessarily or some, it takes individuals just like you, Gary, just like Dr. Ume to show up, to say, I want you all to understand what's going on here and I'm not going to stop talking until we do. And she, yet she's in service. She's serving a community of young teens who are helping despite her own personal experiences in the world. She knows that she has to show up. She goes, I stopped everything. So I wasn't going to write a book. Who, who am I to write a book about racism? She goes, but then in that moment, I said, I'm the exact person to write about racism. What do you think or what are your hopes that you have for this book, if the ideal reader picked it up, sit down with your book, what would you hope happened on the other end? Man, you know, on the, on the other end of this, I'm hoping that conversations are had and they're had honestly, openly, compassionately, so that we can start to get to the root causes of our problems. The civil unrest we see, for example, that's a symptom. It's a symptom of a deeper 
wound that continues to exist in this country and across the world, right? It's not just here in the United States that we see this problem. And I'm hoping that when the book when the book is picked up and people are reading it, they're willing to have those conversations with themselves first, with their young children second. I'm hoping that it helps to create an easier time for young people to help navigate the many pitfalls that have plagued so many generations before them. I'm hoping that we can teach them how to close and eliminate the many gaps that currently hinder our ability to live the most fulfilled lives that we are able to. And I'm hoping that these conversations ultimately allow young people to step into the leaders that they are destined to become because leaders are what we so desperately need. Yeah, that's so true. What books or authors have influenced you, you know, as a writer yourself, you know, I know that you have many more books in you, but what what are some of the, where are the places do you go to for inspiration? For example, for me, I almost always, if I need inspiration about showing up, I turn to Dr. Maya Angelou because her words have been such a profound influence on me, but mainly because she spoke when no one would speak. Who are your literary or your books or authors that kind of prod you in the direction of wanting to put your voice out there? Yeah, that's such an awesome question, a powerful question. It leads to the root of who we are and why we are, right? For me, it's rooted very much in the life and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, just like you said, some of these younger authors now, right? Ibram X. Kendi, right? I think he just he mm-hmm. just released his latest book. He's the author of uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, but his latest compilation, A Community History of African America, 400 Souls, it's called. I spend time in those spaces. I find history to be one of the most just rewarding subjects. It allows us to learn and it allows us to recognize and allows us to grow. Looking backwards helps us look forward. And for me, that's where I spend my time. You know, I kind of, in the same moment, I am able to swing my pendulum back in time and swing my pendulum forward into the future and recognize that I'm always in my present. And in doing that, I just kind of, I reach back and I find those, those influences that those change makers, because that's who and what and where I am. And I will continue to be, and it's the legacy that I will leave. It's amazing. What inspiration do you have for other leaders out there who are thinking, you know, it's time for me to, to say what I have to say. If they're thinking something like, well, but what if no one reads it? Or what if I'm not a writer? Or, you know, I don't even know where to start. What advice would you give those kinds of leaders? The ones that you're actually might be even calling from within your book. Yeah. So for those individuals who are listening, who are wanting, who are waiting, my greatest advice is to be you, your authentic self. Spend time to find out who and what that is, because it's not the person that chases material things or wants trivial things. I don't think anybody wants that in their life. They settle for it, but they don't want it. And for those individuals who are ready to step into that space, just recognize, care for the well-being of others as much, if not more, than the well-being of yourself. Because when any of us suffer, we all suffer, directly or indirectly, this generation or the next. So be mindful. Be mindful of the life you live, of the choices you make, 
Be mindful of not supporting those things that don't support you. Be authentic in your approach to the world and your voice. And once you start to get that down, once you start to realize who you are, you become that tuning fork that radiates your message to the world and it compels your people back to you. And that's what I would recommend and advise for them. Well, this has been such an inspirational conversation here. We could have dove in deeper into the book, but I want people to read it. So if we, did, we give it all away, we're not going to have people read it. But also, sure. people are going to want to connect and learn more about you. Where would they find you? Where would they find more about you? Of course, we want them to all go to Amazon to buy your book. We'll have the link here in the show notes. You can go to authorsrelief.com and look for this episode with Gary. We'll have his book listed there or you go straight to Amazon. But where else would they find you? Yeah. So like you said, you can go right to Amazon. It's there. Go pick it up Unjustified. Where Have Our Black Leaders Gone? You can also find me on my website, GaryOvalley.com. Now I know that it's spelled fancy, G-A-H-R-E-Y, <laughs> but it's just Gary. So GaryOvalley.com. And you can always email me at Gary at GaryOvalley.com. Like I said, I just got here to the online world. So I know I have some social media accounts running around somewhere. You know, my team is kind of putting that together. You can find me online. I wouldn't even know where to tell you. I, I'm, I barely know how to navigate that space myself, but you can find me definitely Great. through my website and then find me in social media. Perfect. Gary, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being brave enough to have a conversation and really saying, I'm not waiting to be picked. I'm standing up to say it's my turn to speak because we need more leaders like that. If you have a book inside of you and you want to lead, you think it's time to share your message with the world. There's no better time than right now. So make sure you go to authorsly.com, sign up for an opportunity to talk with one of the coaches to get you your message out into the world. Gary, thanks again for being a guest on our show. Azul, thank you so much. Always appreciate you. Thank you for listening again to another episode of Authors Who Lead. We appreciate you being here and we hope you subscribe so you get this delivered to your device every week. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps. And if you have a book in your heart, you've been wanting to write a book, please go to authorswholead.com and join us on this journey of becoming a published author. <laughs>